Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens, and you've joined the I'm a Mainframer podcast, brought to you by the Linux Foundation's Open Mainframe Project, a collaborative-focused project focusing on how we make the mainframe an open platform for the modern enterprise. And today we're joined by a dear friend of mine, so we're going to have a fantastic show. We're joined by Derek Britton from Microfocus. Welcome to the show, Derek. Great to be here, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this one. Two Brits, a Bristolian and a guy from Birmingham. This should be interesting for those um, people from around the world to listen to the accents. So just to get our listeners orientated, obviously known you for a long time, but let's let's just position you to the to the listeners here. Tell us a little bit about your role, what you do, and, and we'll kind of use that as a jumping off point. Okay, let's do that. Um, it should be an easier answer than it is, actually, because I've had a, a fairly uh, colourful career, uh, mainly at Microfocus, the software company, uh, who, among many other things, sell a bunch of mainframe tools. So, you know, my connection with the mainframe goes back to, goodness me, 1989, when I first was sat down and plugged in as an intern at Microfocus, the first thing I connected to, of course, was our mainframe system running running an email app called Pros, I think it was, something like that anyway. Um, and it's sort of, you know, it's and it's gone on from there. And we'll probably dip back into some of the what Microfocus does later on. Um, but I'm currently uh, helping out on the marketing side at Microfocus. So you'll see me at places like uh, Share at the GSE conferences, and I'm a member of the, the Open Mainframe Project COBOL Working Group, which I think, if you were to characterise my career in one word, Stephen, uh, or at least a technical word, uh, one that I'm prepared to repeat, uh, it would be COBOL, um, because my my career has, has, has been in and around the mainframe world, but actually looking after one of the mainframe's best buddies, the, the COBOL computer language. So I think to a certain extent, everything I've done has been you know, ne- never more than a few paces away from the COBOL technology, the COBOL programming language. I think that's going to become a question now. If you were to sum up your experience in one word, what would it be? So Mr. COBOL. Okay, that makes sense. Well, and I'm happy with Mr. COBOL. Uh, you could go with Lord if you like. I don't mind. But uh, <laughs> Lord COBOL. Okay. Tom, Tom Ross is Captain COBOL. Tom Ross at IBM is Captain COBOL. And I think... Oh, okay. Sudarshana at IBM, I think she's queen of COBOL now. I think, you know, we're, we're going around, we're giving each other titles, and I think that's good for them. So, you know, if there's any spare ones, Duke, I don't know. I was going to say Duke, the, yeah. the Duke of Corn, the Duke of COBOL has got a better <laughs> ring to it, I think. But no, so, I mean, there's a lot in what you said there. You know, microfocus. We'll we'll talk about that in a bit more detail. There's the Open Mainframe Project. Obviously, we're on the Open Mainframe Project podcast, so I want to understand that in a bit more detail. But maybe let's start with that COBOL journey. You know, so you mentioned that you came onto Profs, you logged on to the to the mainframe as your first sort of exposure to the technology. Sort of give us a bit of a story arc, kind of where you've seen the platform and COBOL go over that time. That's probably a great place to start. Yeah, no, I think it would be. And, you know, it, it goes right to the heart of actually the value, but also one of the ongoing challenges that that, that a language of that age um, and that level of uh, usage 
uh, will still struggle with, uh, regardless of its success, which is simply that um, those who dreamt up the idea of COBOL, they, you know, they've long since gone on to do other things. Uh, 1959, the idea was devised. So, and, and that, you know, just, um, just, just for your listeners' sake, that, that predates me as well. Um, so I just I joined the party relatively late, 1980. It had already been going some time already by that stage. Very, very well established, enterprise scale, you know, robust language of choice for business. That's what the B stands for. Um, and so, you know, Cobel's own story, which um, I was fortunate enough to be involved in writing a white paper in celebration of its 60th anniversary a couple of years ago. We, we delved into its enduring value and and. You know, depending on who you ask, there are a number of reasons why COBOL has stood the test of time. But even back in 1989, you know, I said I was connecting to a mainframe to use the apps there. COBOL was still highly regarded, um, but mainly regarded as a mainframe uh, language. And that, that remains true today. It was true then, it remains just as true today. And most of the largest world's consumers of COBOL language they're all mainframe shops um but actually part of cobol's design meant it ought to it, it had to be portable so cobol was also available even back in the 80s on um what was then to become aix um on uh, something that was then being devised something called os2 you may remember um uh, and something that was later to be called linux uh, and and many other open platforms it's portability which wasn't important for the mainframe community per se at the time became more and more important as more people were looking at what the other options were available to them in terms of well where did the applications need to run how did their business model work um, and and microfocus came into being helping do just that but what was really really critical is that we maintained because remember, COBOL was built as part of a, a committee process. It was, a part, it was an open standard and managed by the international standards body, um, which meant that anything COBOL was doing on the mainframe, in order for it to retain its portability, we needed to ensure it could do the same thing elsewhere. And actually, that, that process of collaboration, and I'm going back as far as um, the, the days of AD cycle, Microfocus and IBM had to, you know, be in cahoots on not only the COBOL standard, the COBOL language, and, and some of the new capabilities that we were considering at the time, including things that were later be, to become, you know, pretty standard issues like object orientation. Um, but not just COBOL itself, but also the connectivity into, you know, other key subsystems that ran on the mainframe at the time, such as Kix, such as JCL, such as IMS. So my journey with COBOL came through an important point of its evolution, which was well, to retain its dominance on the mainframe world, but also then to be available in these other you know, nodes on the network, if you like, that were starting to get more and more connected back to the mainframe mothership. And, and to a greater extent, I think you know, we've seen over the last couple of decades um, that continued evolution towards, you know, what's now termed a hybrid model. Uh, and any, any of these nodes on the network might not even be in your network anymore. They might be in someone else's network and we call that the cloud. You know, th that level of interconnectedness and, and you know, hybrid IT, if you like, 
is is de facto in many of the largest organizations that um, that are served by both of our organizations so you know that's the way COBOL has evolved because it had to and and that's sort of the journey that I've been on so I now spend quite a lot of time um, talking to organizations who you know primarily use mainframes but also have a bunch of other stuff and it's you know really the the, the challenge or the opportunity is how to get the best out of their technology investments to, to deliver business value and it's I mean there's when you look at that sort of history arc that you, you you're probably as good as anybody in the industry at, at talking about i think it there's there's been a lot of negative talked about cobol and you know it hit the press and i know the open mainframe project led the charge at kind of reframing that but i think the way you talk about it's really interesting for me i, I don't get into this one language is better than another language debate. I really, I don't understand it. And I, and I know you've got an opinion and that's where I'm going with this, but why is one language considered cooler, better, more vogue of the time than any other language? They serve a purpose. They serve a developer community. Maybe, and this is a long rambling question, Derek, but, I, but I'd be keen to understand your perspective there of, because the, we hear a lot of, oh, we should do this in Java, or oh, we should do this in Python, or oh, we should do this Ruby on Rails. And there's, a, there's, there's something in that that I'd want to sort of maybe couple, spend a couple of minutes on. So maybe give me your perspective. Yeah, okay. Um and it is interesting. You do have to be very careful in, well, in every industry, but certainly technology is, is no stranger to this, that you don't take a, a personal preference and then try to wrap that up as some sort of, you know, uh, pseudo logic in terms of, you know, here's my decision system. Here's, here is a belief that is always going to be true. And you've got to be very careful, even about COBOL, but there are going to be some situations where it's probably not the right choice. Um, and I would imagine that um, that's going to be true for no matter what technology you might be a, a big fan of. And so, we're, you know, even in the microfocus labs, you know, the COBOL as a development language has a level of appropriateness that, that we're, we're very comfortable defining where it's useful. And of course, we have a, a wide range of use cases where we believe that's true. Um, but we're equally clear that, you know, if you want to design an exciting new uh, user interface, um, I wouldn't start with COBOL. You know, I would connect to COBOL to process the, you know, the, do the, 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 the data handling and the number crunching that, that actually provides the service. But the way it's presented to the user, yeah, you'd probably be using something else. And so it is a what the what as Brits would say horses for courses approach. You you use the right tool for the right task at the right time, um, and you make those decisions based on the resources that you have available. So do you have the people with the skills? Do you have the technology that that is connected to the right other pieces of technology? Is it working on the right platforms? Does it provide the right level of throughput and robustness and reliability? And of course, COBOL ticks many many of those boxes. So it's a, it's a fair candidate for many, many, what I would call systems of record, business systems, you know, the grown-up stuff that, that, you know, if they fail, it, some, you know, it matters 
Um, Kerbal isn't used to build Angry Birds, um, but it does run pretty much, you know, half the banking system, if not more. So you know, I like that one, Derek. It's not design, it's not the language for for Angry Birds, but it is for the banking system. I think that that nets it down perfectly. I mean, I think so much of what we hear of the rhetoric, I know there was a lot of folks on this sort of 18 months ago as we, mm. we went into the pandemic. I think it comes from the situation you describe of, oh, I like this, therefore it's the answer for everything. And anybody who doesn't like this, whatever that this is from a language point of view, is not, you know, isn't, has not got the right opinion. And I, I, I like the pragmatism that you've got. And I use this analogy around, you know, just because I own a car doesn't mean I think planes or trains are bad. That level of pragmatism, in, certainly in the mainframe space, doesn't exist. It's like the public cloud is the and Python is the only answer. And if you don't like public cloud and Python, then you're, you know, you're not thinking about the situation in the right way. Yeah. Those dogmas and sort of exist I think and I think it's really interesting to hear your perspective of it's horses for courses yeah you know I think I think you just have to be careful that the, the person who ultimately presides over the, the decision and the strategy um, should ultimately be someone who has the business's best interest at heart and understands the business strategy and how best to get there um, and so even though these technical decisions will you know but, but they will have obviously you'll need some smart technical people in the room to help make those decisions. It is still a business decision. And you still ultimately have to say, why is this the right thing for a business purpose? If you answer that question very, very quickly, very readily about your technology choice, there's a good chance you need to look at it again. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. So, so I mean, I led us to how the industry thought about COBOL kind of 18 months ago. I think, mm. you know, I know you and I are close to that and that thought process. Maybe just unpack that for the listeners who maybe aren't as close to the sort of rhetoric that existed in the marketplace and, and kind of what the Open Mainframe Project's done to res- respond. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go like a, a tiny bit further back than that and just go, just go to 2019 and just talk about the... The anniversary of, of COBOL, because I don't, I don't think many people could, certainly not in 1959 when they designed the stuff, not many people could have sensibly projected a, you know, a diamond jubilee party that we were, you know, were, albeit a virtual one, but a, that, that we threw in on behalf of COBOL's 60th birthday. Um, you know, and that was 20, 2019, September 2019, to coincide with, uh, and I know it was a gentleman from IBM who dreamt up the name COBOL. So we, we, we've got that pinned at September 1959, according to the records. So we, we wrote a lot of commentary, we being microfocus, but I know the rest of the, the, the COBOL community, if you like, sort of shared with that. And quite a lot of outpouring of very positive vibes about COBOL, about, you know, it stood the test of time. Here's why there's some really good attributes for the language. You know, it's readability, it's portability, it's robustness. Um, and quite a lot of commentary around and then sort of to most people's surprise you know it sort of fizzled out a little bit the 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 next news item was some ill-conceived senior leader um some state government or another who can remain nameless for the purposes of this call and and 
any legal case thrown against me, who misrepresented COBOL as being to blame for some challenge processing, uh, um, I think it was unemployment uh, benefit payments, or, or whatever it was. And it kind of doesn't matter, but it was in the public domain. And, and within moments of them saying, well, yes, we need more COBOL programmers because we can't find anybody, and we think COBOL is to blame because we can't process things quickly enough. It turned out that not a lot of that was particularly true, but the cat was out of the bag. Um, the, 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 the point had been made. And then, you know, a, a few rather sort of, you know, simplistic journals later, a few articles later on, Kobel's now got a bad reputation in the marketplace for being out of date, moribund, dusty, you know, with, with a skills crisis. Um, and I remember speaking to you and I spoke to Reg Harbeck as well. And I, I spoke to um, a couple of people in, in the mainframe world. Um, and I was lucky enough to get uh, get an audience with John John Murtich as well, who was already talking to Microfocus about the open mainframe project. And it sort of sealed the deal. I thought, we've got to do something here. And, and John said, look, there's an open forum here. The whole point is this is where the mainframe community comes together to talk about and solve key issues of the day. And we felt that this was a key issue of the day. So I was lucky enough to team up with a couple of you know, very energetic um, people in the cohort, and we, we formed this thing called the COBOL Working Group. And, and simply to put the record straight, Stephen, nothing more than that initially, to fundamentally restate the story about COBOL and say, well, you know, this is why it su- survived but thrives, these are the people who still use it. These are the organizations who still use it. And very sensibly, we said to ourselves, what we need to do is measure how much there still is so that we can actually point at it, you know, to everyone else and say, look, there's COBOL. That's what it's doing for you. And so that's what the, you know, the germination of that group was all about. And, you know, set up just just over a year ago. And uh, I'm very pleased to say that we've already embarked on the, the, the quantification exercise. So we've got the results of the survey that we've done just back in recently. Um, you know, and it's as we thought, COBOL is, is alive and kicking. It's, 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 it's not barely surviving, it's thriving. Um, so there's a lot of positives to say. Our job is to act as effectively the lobby group on behalf of the mainframe community, but the COBOL community at large, which is, you know, it's sizable. It's sizable. Um, by another measurement, by the way, um, just going off topic slightly, there's a COBOL programmers group on, on Facebook, of all places, would you believe? And you think, well, it doesn't sound like the right place for your average COBOL programmer to go. But what's interesting is, A, it's quite busy, it's 20, over 20,000 membership, and B, the demographic breakdown of that COBOL group is mainly um, 20 to 30s rather than, well, what you might typically expect, shall we say, which is, you know, a slightly older generation. It's not true. So there's people coming into the COBOL world looking for their, either looking for their first job or in their first job, uh, looking to skill up and and to understand the the wider community. So it's pretty exciting stuff. You mentioned there the point in time and the response. Where do you see that COBOL working group going forward? You know, there was the, we need to mobilize, we need to address the perception gap that existed 
from some of those comments and I remember back to some of the conversations and the and the team mobilizing which for me you know natural competitors finding a way to collaborate on a topic is 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 kind of the the genesis of open source yes but give us that kind of I know you take an active role in the leadership of that working group so kind of where do you see that going forward what's the you know you had a, a reason to mobilize but what's next yeah well okay coming together as like-minded individuals is you got to, the, the, the danger always is you talk to each other about things that you all agree on you all you're all nodding frantically and, and everyone goes away and, and, and no net good has come of it because no one else found out the, the power of the conversation so the job is a is, is actually as much as it is anything else it's one of communication we, it's no good yeah you and i can have a cozy chat about this but but as this podcast will you know testifies it's no good that you and i understand this it, it's it's making sure that everyone else who may be in a decision making situation about cobol gets to understand the truth ahead of that decision now for many people already in the cobol community that you know we're preaching to the choir they already understand it they already get it they're already likely to make an informed decision um, but whether it's, a, you know, whether it's a technical decision, a technical choice, technical strategy, you know, sort of CTO type, architecture type question mark, whether it's a business investment decision, uh, you know, there are some stakeholders that we need to reach in the wider community that are not really part of the COBOL community per se. Um, they need to understand the story as well. So there's a, you know, there's a very long multifaceted multi-tentacled communications requirement here for us to be truly successful because of course each decision to do away with COBOL is you know is a decision we should have got in front of and of course some of those things are happening every day um so the the, the initial and immediate task is a um well a body of evidence that we can use to share with the wider community and that's what this survey was going to be. It's going to be the sort of rallying cry, if you like, to say, look, here it all is. Here's some solid evidence that, that points at the value of COBOL and some of the challenges. We did ask about skills. We did ask about, you know, how, how headcount is sourced. We did ask about, um, you know, some of the challenges that they may face. Um, but nonetheless, the survey results will be very, very important. We hope to sort of you know, go back out to the press later on this year um, with those results. It'd be a pleasure to come back on the podcast um, and, you know, and talk about what we've, what we've found. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is to realise that, the, you know, as much as we can have these individual conversations one-to-one, stakeholder by stakeholder, or even through the, through the press, much as I'd love to think so, um, you know, only a certain number are going to listen to this podcast. Only a certain number of people will read Tech Channel. Only a certain number of people will read uh, any, other, any other particular IT publication. What we need to do is probably raise it up a bit further. One of the interesting things that's come about, and, I, and these details are a little bit sketchy because it's only just started happening. Um, there are, uh, in, in the US Congress, there are legislators looking at potential um, acts of parliament or whatever they're called over there uh, that, that talk about 
the necessity to protect and continue to invest in so-called legacy systems because of the endemic inherent risks that, that a lack of investment has caused over the last couple of decades. They're trying to protect, you know, not just the government institutions, but, but I think it primarily focused on those from, you know, the lack of funding that has called, you know, caused risks to these IT systems, which is part of the reason why they are, you know, easily tarnished with a bad reputation. Oh, look at this dusty and broken old system. It's not dusty and broken and old. It's just underinvested. Just, you know, it's just been left a little bit to die on the vine because of lack of ongoing investment. You need to, you need to feed and water these systems on an ongoing basis in order to maintain them and to keep them current. Um, and that's what that legislative discussion, you know, it's basically a discussion topic at the moment. I don't think it's been proposed yet, but we're trying to galvanize input from a, a, a variety of sources to, to help with that. And that raises the bar, I think, and that raises everyone's awareness. Um, I think COBOL then becomes more of a mainstream conversation all over again. And I think the more mainstream it is, the more people realise how profoundly uh, foundational to the economy that technology is. Very much like the mainframe, Steve. Once people understand the profound importance of that technology to the economy at large, they'll realise that actually we can't just ignore it and pretend it's not there. We can't just make you know derisory, derisory comments about it. You, you've got to you've got to invest sensibly, and you've got to. Um, you've got to consider the future. So I think that's one of the, I'm very excited about that potential, but we'll be doing plenty more. It's getting around, it's doing, doing the show tour, you know, getting around to the, the right community meetings. So going to GSE, going to share, going to, uh, I think I hope, hopefully we'll get on Z council as well. We went to the ECC Morris conference earlier this year. So it's just telling the story, engaging in the community and getting everyone uh, comfortable and confident to tell the story themselves so that they can act as our cheerleaders as well. So there's a couple of things in what you've just mentioned. I'm going to start first with just trying to position. You, you, you Obviously, the COBOL community needed to sort of come together. Tell me a little bit about what role the OMP, the Open Mainframe Project, played in allowing you to get together. Because I think... You and I know how that happened, but I think that'd be interesting for the listeners. And then I'm going to come on to the sort of the, the COBOL story and give you a chance to talk about microfocus afterwards. But just first off, tell me how the OMP enabled you and the wider COBOL community to come together. Because uh, I think that's going to be interesting for listeners who maybe don't know how the sausage was made. Yeah, I think it, and you know what, it was a moment of, uh, and that was one of those kind of wow moments where you realise the potential that we had at our disposal and that would only was only possible because of what the OMP was able to do. Um, and they didn't sprinkle magic dust on the situation. What they did, though, is they said, there's, a, um, there's a place you can go um, where you, you leave your role at the door, you bring your passion in the room, and then you, know, you literally you are talking like a like a support group to say, you know, hi, I'm Derek. I I love COBOL, and you know you go around the table and you all introduce yourself, and then you talk about what you know what matters to you and why you want to get something out of it. 
Now, what you have to remember is, and it was a good mix, actually, in, in all fairness, but what it did include, the room included, organisations who would ordinarily never sit in the same room, you know, barely um, stand in the same building, um, because we, we compete on things. We, we sell rival technologies. Uh, and once, um, you know, the honest broker, which is what John was able to do, John Murtich was able to do, he said, this is the way this is going to work. Um, he also very sensibly said, look, let's not just have vendors. Let's have practitioners. Let's have consultants. Let's have trainers. We have uh, Dr. Cameron C. from uh, North Carolina, um, a, a number of other people who are, shall we say, enthusiastic hobbyists or pr- practitioners who happen to work somewhere, but that's not why they're there. They're all in the room. And and everyone got an equal vote. And it was then just a case of, right, between us, what do we think we need to do about COBOL? Pretty much broad, you know, widespread agreement. Um, and that could only have happened could only have happened if there was a safe place to go to have that conversation where you could leave your sort of day job at the door. And that's what we were able to achieve. And you know, on the back of that, on the back of that decision, my employer, Microfocus, said, this OMP thing is much more powerful than we've really considered before. And, and that was, you know, to, to a great extent, one of the, the, the key points where, you know, we decided to join up as a, as a, a paid up member. So um, I think that was the special moment where we realised the potential. But when, you know, all that does is get people in a room. What then happened was quite magical that we all saw eye to eye on it. I mean, I think you were in the first couple, Steve, and you, you'll remember just how powerful the meetings were. And then it was just then a case of, right, well, we're just going to club together and figure out the right way to get this done. And um, we've, we've accomplished quite a lot in you know, a very short space of time. And I think it's really interesting, those first sort of bristly, well, I normally sell my stuff against your stuff. I don't like you as a person because I have to, you know, my salary is, it's a sort of that classic zero-sum game. I win, you lose, we win the deal. You lose the deal kind of mentality, as you say, gets left at the door. Yeah. And it's like, well in order for either of us to be successful, we need COBOL to be successful. How do we, and and I know John's a master at kind of orchestrating those initial difficult conversations. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting. The second piece you talked about, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to get into microfocus here in a little bit more detail is kind of those interactions with some of those clients and kind of where COBOL's going when you're talking to to, to clients so maybe just sort of you know this is the opportunity to to position microfocus a little and, and what you guys do maybe just unpack that a little for me and, and for the listeners okay well i'm going to look at it from a cobal centric perspective that and that's not the full story of microfocus we do a whole ton of other stuff but you know we are a security and operations and an analysis company and all of, all of those other business units that are you know um fantastic in their own right but from a cobalt uh, perspective well what's interesting is when you talk to the client base and you know this as well as i do steve when when, when you talk to organizations about what their future aspirations are especially in the last couple of years where the world has turned pretty much upside down and you know what your customers now want are 
completely different to what they wanted two years ago and what your supply chain looks like has changed beyond comprehension. All of those things have a huge impact on the IT that underpins the, uh, the business that, uh, that you're trying to support both today and aspirationally. Well, that's equally true for the stuff that's at the heart of those IT systems, which is obviously for our clients, it's, it's COBOL applications, no matter where they happen to be running, but you know, typically mainframe-based. Um, what, what has happened and what Microfocus has spent a lot of time worrying about, and I know we're not alone, is the fact that unlike what was the case in 1969 and 1979, even when you know COBOL was probably at its heyday because it had a near monopoly hold on the business marketplace, um, the, these applications are not islands anymore. The, the, the platforms they run on are not islands anymore. And I think it was, I think it was as far back as four or five years ago, I think Peter Rutten at IDC referred to um, the mainframe ecosystem as the connected mainframe. Um, and a successful mainframe ecosystem is only going to be successful if it is connected. Uh, and in fact, even at Microfocus, we have a, we, we sell a bunch of mainframe security software and, and our, our, our tagline for it is protected and connected because, you know, both of those things have to work for your mainframe ecosystem to be to remain viable we um, like the phrase open mainframe on this podcast you know you can say connected we say open and, i mean rather that, like that and i, and I, that I, I mean I, I was the one who was fortunate enough to come up with the name so i'm gonna show my bias but i mean i think they both speak to the same point they do, they do. And, and it's really interesting the way you described it and the words you use there of the platform's not an island yeah. Whether it's open, whether it's connected, whether it's hybrid, you know, whatever the, the the marketing people get to sort of use in the taglines, I think that's the key point. You know, if you're writing a COBOL program and I'm speaking to the developers who listen to the show here, you're not writing it to sit on a mainframe and only be interacted by on a mainframe anymore. It's going to be part of a journey. You know, the system of engagement could be sitting on AWS. You know, it, it could be a mobile phone that's the connectivity layer to get in. It could be a mobile banking app. It's yeah. going to be multi-tier. Yes, the system of record may be on the mainframe, but I think as the COBOL development community, we've got to think of that broader lens. And I know a lot of them don't. You know, they look at their IDE screen and they're doing what they're doing but we've got to think on that broadest of lens. No, I think we do. I think we do. And what's what's good and what's encouraging and, and what's really exciting, actually, when you see the stuff for yourself is everything you've just described as being potentially necessary as a use case, that's out of the box today. That happens on a, you know, comfortable basis. And I know, you know, many people at the, the IBM labs who've, who've built, you know, many really smart pieces of kit to, to enable, you know, a much more agile and much more connected method of delivering COBOL systems, no matter where they need to be, no matter what they need to do. Um, so, you know, it's a, honestly, COBOL's part of your most contemporary tool chain, you know, using whatever other contemporary tools, potentially open source tools, of course, uh, that's all happening right now, plug and play, no problem. Um, can you can you disentangle monolithic COBOL applications to deliver them as discrete microservices? You bet you can. Of course you can. Um, 
straight out of the box, no problem at all. Now, is it a problem to identify the right microservice to deliver it in the right way? Of course, microservices isn't, isn't child's play. You still gotta think about it, but the technology is able to help you disentangle things that haven't been touched for years. Um, so all of that is already available and already possible. The, I think that the trick is to get some of that art of the possible in the hands of the, those who might otherwise not realize it, um, you know, and to give them that as a potential option for the future. My biggest fear is that the, the wider COBOL programmer community out there in, um, in, in government and industry are not being given the opportunity to bid to use COBOL in these new ways to solve the, the, the challenges of today. Uh, and that they, there's some sort of default acceptance that in order to do something new, you have to use a new piece of technology. And that's just patently not true because... As I've said in in uh, in, a, in other podcasts and on, in other articles, COBOL is a it's a it's a 1959 idea, but it's a 2021 technology. And so when someone says we might need some new technology for that, we say, great. Well, why don't you use COBOL? Because that's exactly what it is. And of course, the same is true for the mainframe itself. So yeah, I like the way you phrase that. I mean, I I've long sort of used this analogy. I'm a car guy. And people sort of naturally understand cars as an analogy. And it's, you know, if you're in a US audience, the Corvette, if you're in a European or sort of global organization uh, sort of context, people understand the Porsche 911. Right. Both of those cars were launched at the same time, the same year as the mainframe. We were out driving yesterday and I saw the new Corvette. Not one thought went through my whole mind of oh that's an old car <laughs> but it was a mid-60s idea that's been reimagined and they've moved the engine to the it's mid-engine now not front engine you know this thing looks like a ferrari or a lamborghini you know it looks as modern as a car could look but it's a mid-60s idea yes you know nobody looks at the brand new porsche 911 and goes oh that's a vintage car Right. So, so I think I think that you know you're certainly thinking about it in the right way. You're looking at that car to go. That's a way to have a fantastic journey and put a big smile on my face and and kind of enjoy the experience of driving a, a, a sports car. You're not thinking, oh, that's a 1960s kind of sports car. So it, it, it's that same sort of mindset. So it absolutely is absolutely right. So I think. As we start, I mean, I could talk to you about this topic for for, for hours, as as you know, and we do on a regular basis. Um, but <laughs> maybe we 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 need to sort of think about how we start to bring this home for the listeners here. One of the questions I always ask is, you you talked about when we're doing the introduction. You know, you've been a mainframer since the late eighties. You got the opportunity. We get a lot of li- younger listeners, and we talked about it you know, some of the things you mentioned from the Facebook demographics, there's a lot of new users coming to this platform and particularly to COBOL and from the development community, you know, as one of those luminaries in the COBOL space, you know, the Duke of COBOL, um, as you're now going to be known. Thank you, Steve. What advice would you give to your younger self so you can go back and speak to the Derek Britton age 21, 22 coming out of college 
with the benefit of the hindsight here, what what would you say to your younger self? I, I mean, it's actually probably the hardest question you've posed to me today, but I think there's probably a couple of things. And just, you know, it's just dawned on me based on the conversation we've had. And so uh, ask me again tomorrow and I'll come up with three other things. But I think if you if you were to say, you know, what didn't I know back then that I know now that really matters to my, my career and, and my place in the world, if you like, um, I think the... The, the most important one is context. Even a, even a graduate will take a job because that's the job that they think they want. And, and but the end their end game was getting the job. Um, their end game wasn't why the job was good for them in their in their career path. Uh, and in fact, I mean, I don't know how many people I've spoken to who who don't use their college degree at all in their professional life. The the, the goal of the college degree was was because they thought they had to go to college. Uh, and that was pretty much the end of it. Uh, and then and then they found a job, and that was a sort of a different objective. So it's setting the context for who you are in the world as early as you possibly can. And if that sounds sort of rather patronising, uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe it is. But I think today's organisation is a lot more transparent about who it is and, and why it exists and what it, what purpose it serves the, the world around it in a way that certainly when I started my career, you know, there was, there was no, there, there was no corporate culture to speak of in, in quite the same way. And I think, you know, the internet society, the di- digital era, we're a lot more switched on about our place in the world and, and why things matter and, and perhaps even why some things shouldn't matter. I think your average 21 year old might not spend that much time thinking about that. Um, however, I think understanding your context and, and what, why your career is going, is going to matter in the future. I think it's a great place to start. And the second, second, second and third things are actually just purely tactics, Stephen. Um, there's, there's no, um, there's no way you're ever going to get on in your career if you singularly focus on just yourself, you're only ever going to achieve great things with a team of great people around you. And so teamwork, that, that you know, the ultimate ingredient of success is teamwork. Um, and the second tactic, a bedfellow of this, is just your own work ethic. If, if, if you're not working at least as hard as the other members of the team, you know, you have to ask yourself, why am I on this team? The interesting thing, and the, the, I'll pick on the second thing you mentioned, I agree with both the, the first and third things, particularly the, the hard work piece. But in the context of this being a, an open source pod, yeah. podcast, I think the teamwork concept is don't think of that teamwork just within the confines of your organisation. Absolutely. If, if you look at our relationship specifically, we've made a point of working with each other before we needed to work with each other across those lines. Then when with the COBOL working group came together and we had that existing relationship. So we, you and I, you know, by dumb accident, by two of the Brits at share, you know, whatever there was the, the confluence of events that got us there. I think the key thing is think of that network and that teamwork you know, the team, it isn't team micro-focus. For us, it was team mainframe. 
and we were just going to work together. We we're going to find a way to work together as a team kind of before the need to work together as a team came about. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, give forward if you possibly can because you yeah, mm-hmm. might turn up uh, useful. And, well, and also there's there's an enjoyment thing there as well. You know, just gravitate to the people you'd like to spend some time with. And, you know, I suppose I have to confess that I like spending time with you, Steve. That's, <laughs> that's that what I have to pay to get on the podcast. That's a revelation that I don't think we need to expand on. So, <laughs> I mean, the final t- final question I tend to ask is, and, and I'm really interested in your answer on this topic, where do you see the mainframe platform three to five years out? I think getting your perspective, particularly on that, is going to be really interesting for our listeners. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's it's a constant fascination to me, just that, and, and there are so many technology futurists, you know, self, self-appointed, self you know. Um, um, me me included. Me included <laughs> now that for the... It's, we've even got the word future in mind, a, co- a company with future research. So, yeah, I'm guilty of being a self-proclaimed futurist but yeah I, I get your point it's it's one of the toughest it is one of the toughest gigs i mean there's not a lot that many people foresaw about the last couple of years uh, and we can all agree with that but i mean i read a lot of these reports and i don't disagree with many of them when they say that um well, it, it's kind of the classic conundrum that the it world faces you add a lot into the top you know a lot of water comes into the lake but not a lot of water flows out of it, um, by which I mean a lot of new technology gets introduced into the top of the funnel and not a lot of it retires. A lot of it carries on, um, not necessarily widely used, but it carries on regardless. We're not very good at getting rid of things um, because actually if it adds value, it stays because it's technology and it, you know, can, it automates processes, so it's ne- never necessarily a bad thing. Um, and as a result of that, you know, as a natural byproduct of greater levels of complexity on an ongoing basis, you know, more languages, more technology options, uh, more platforms, more means of delivery, uh, you know, a burgeoning open source community as well, adding even greater opportunities, then there are the requirements for all of those new dots in the picture to need to be joined up. So, you know, I, I don't want to plagiarise Peter Rutten's word, but that word connected, I keep coming back to. That interconnectedness of things, um, it, in today's digital era, it's almost impossible to conceive a future world where things are, you know, more neatly ordered, less complex, and therefore the, the necessity to simplify and improve the connection and obviously the secure connection of all of those various elements is going to remain absolutely foundational to anyone's success. Um, and as that pertains to things like COBOL, well, it's going to need to carry on playing nicely with you know, whatever evolves in, uh, whether, it's, whether it's the containers world in terms of the delivery model, whether it's you know, connecting with new languages, whether it's supporting new front ends, whether it's plugging into new open source options, all of these things are going to have to happen. And it's going to go faster than any standards body can keep up with. Um, And so the market is really shaping the evolution of of that language, but it's also shaping the evolution of the platforms on which those languages sit as well. 
Um, we know that IBM is going to spend you know, continued um, sums of money on ensuring that the mainframe continues to innovate. We are absolutely sure that the cloud vendors are going to carry on doing the same for their own platforms. Those worlds will continue to collide and they'll continue to require mashups and, and connections that, you know, that they're either working today and need to be better or we haven't yet conceived other ways where they'll also have to work together. Um, there's, it's not going to get any easier for any of these organisations to figure all of this out. Um, but actually, in some of that complexity arrives a heck of a lot of new opportunity as well. So it just becomes another exciting five years to look forward to. The other thing is I'm quite looking forward, just over five years' time, um, we can start planning COBOL's 70th anniversary party. Um, and I've already got Reg Harbeck to um, commit to lay the drinks on. So, uh, no, you just have to bring cake. Fantastic. So I've asked that question of multiple guests on the, on the show over the years now. I think that's probably one of the best off-the-cuff answers I've got. So I, I've got nothing else to add to that apart from to thank you for your time on the show uh, and to start, start to wrap up. So, Derek, fantastic time on the show. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Linux Foundation's Open Mainframe Project. If you like the conversation you've heard today, please click and subscribe and give us five stars in your various podcast platform. That helps. And we'll put some details to Microfocus and where to find Derek in the show notes. But thanks again, and join us next time for the Open Mainframe Projects. I'm a Mainframer podcast. Thanks very much.